Welcome to the Liron Glickman Show, the show that explores the human component around business and marketing and communication in a hybrid world. I am Liron Glickman, your host, a global business development specialist and business relationships and personal branding strategist. Today on this show, we're going to talk on one of the most exciting topics to date. We're going to talk about how to break the boundaries of human and AI relationships. To discuss this very interesting topic, I have one of the experts, the world experts on this, uh, Dr. Stephen Rodwell, Dean of Higher Education Institute from Sydney, Australia, and a research on human and AI relationships. He holds a PhD with his research on how customers relate to service robots. So straight from Sydney, Australia. Good afternoon, Steve. How are you? I'm fantastic, Lauren. How are you? Very good. Very good. I'm really excited to have you here today. We've been talking about this topic quite a while, uh, for a while, and it's great to really get some of your smarts. Um, allow me to yeah. introduce you to the audience, and then I'll give you the mic, as they say. Um, so what you need to know about Stephen or Steve if you don't mind, uh, is the Dean uh, of the currently in development Higher Education Institute in Sydney, Australia, and a business administration educator with a passion for developing future leaders. He specializes in technology uh, used within the business management realm with an avid interest in how emerging technologies will impact interpersonal dynamics, which we're going to dive right into in this session. Um, he would describe himself as a, a cautiously optimistic futurist. Hmm. Uh, which uh, transitions from being a nightclub manager uh, a couple of decades ago to an early riser who spends the fair chunk of each morning uh, ruminating on how the latest technological developments will impact the business world. He holds a PhD, as we said, uh, an MBA in multiple other qualification in business and education. And I think, Steve, this is the time to say that you're actually my boss when I was a bartender in Australia and you were uh, the club manager in Sydney. Well, that was many, many years ago. Yeah, I was a bit younger then, uh, but you still look exactly the same. You too. And 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 you know what? I always I always tell you that you are one of the smartest people I know because you you not you don't only know a lot of knowledge. You also know how to convey it and how to converge it together to some very interesting insights. And this is definitely one of the reasons I'm so excited to to interview you today because every time we speak. I learned something new from you. So why not share it with more people? Very kind. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. So we're going to talk about um, shaping and developing human and AI relationships. We're going to talk about how to use AI to boost relationships and results in the business uh, realm uh, and some scenarios where the AI and human relationships are heading to. Um, but before we actually dive into this topic, if you don't mind, share a bit about yourself uh, just so we know you from your words. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my interest, uh, I, I was quite a, a late comer to higher education. Um, I, I, as I mentioned before, I had a, a career in service, so running businesses, working in hospitality, working in service. So I came at study from that perspective of how do you, first of all, how do you run a successful business? That was very interesting to me. So I went into studying specifically business, but I always... Um, because I used to run bars, I used to run nightclubs, small hotels, and so forth, I always had that kind of customer perspective. So if if I'm a customer, how do I provide a, a great experience as a business for, for customers? Obviously, it's um, it's important to be able to, to provide that perception of value add with your customer so they're getting more than, than they expect. And um, one of the best ways I've always thought of doing that is utilizing technology well, if you really utilize it poorly, it can be uh, something that detracts from the experience, but utilizing it well. And so 
I started to develop an interest in this and started to read quite extensively in this area um, after I did my MBA. And, and then that was what really guided me towards doing the PhD in this area, because I, I've read a lot of fascinating books, some of which I, I shared with you, but uh, books that, that really talked about an explosion in the utilization of, uh, of robotics and AI and so forth to um, to be used in business to really improve the experience for the customer. And that that's it to me. I mean, I think it's, yes, you can save money using technology. Yes, automation is going to give you that capability. But really to survive as a business, you've got to provide some real value for the customer where they're perceiving that they're getting more than they're spending um, on uh, on the experience. And and I think technology can be used very well for doing that. And I think we're really getting to this breaking point now where that's becoming obvious and increasingly the case. Definitely. And, and you know, I have to say that uh, because same you know, like you and, and with you, I worked in the hospitality industry and I see how many um, uh let's say skills that I've learned as being a service provider in the hospitality industry, it helps me in business. Eventually it's people, whether you serve them drink or you're, you, you're selling them a SaaS program, you know, it's still about how to know how to handle people. And now when we're going to the next level, it's going to be uh, even more interesting. Um, now in one of our preliminary call, uh, uh, you mentioned that anything that overrides human intelligence uh, is, is the, at the top of the pyramid above us um so what is uh, mm -hmm. if you can say like generally what is the future of human and ai interaction and how might it change our society mm -hmm. because for example the main fear that is you know being talked about for many years is will it replace me or uh if it's going to be too similar to me so what do you think the future of, of our mm -hmm. interaction together i mean i i would say at this point that, that the real experts in the field are, are saying that the future is uncertain <laughs> all right they, they say that it could go yeah. uh, in multiple different directions i think the most attractive the best direction that it can go in is a situation where in the future ai acts as a complement as a co-pilot to us as human beings, it eliminates drudgery from our life. It allows us to do playful and fun things in a way uh, that produces value for ourselves, produces value for other people. So, so we're earning our our living basically from doing things that we really enjoy doing. Um, yeah. It's a maximizer of output. So it takes what we do as an individual, and then you know, as in the old days, a person with a thousand people underneath them could do a lot more than an individual on their own. Um, especially if those people were completely committed to helping that person do what they wanted yeah. to do. Well, that's that's what it can it can it can take your dreams, desires, your requirements, and it can undertake those tasks for you in the most competent fashion that, that human beings have managed to up to this point. You know, and, and, and it's not again, this is not something that's in the far off distant future. This is something that's arguably that. starting to happen now. Yeah, and so so there's there is a there is a a future where AI is um, is something that is the most fundamental change to humans yeah. that has happened in the history of humanity. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, but uh, but we're dealing with the thing as I mentioned as as you mentioned as well that that puts us at the top of the pyramid, which is that intelligence, right? So if yeah. you're talking about something that is is more intelligent than us, then um, then that's why having that entity come into existence to be able to help us um, is really something that, that changes the game completely. Now, the negative side of it, yeah. um, short-term mm -hmm. negative, it is potentially that it can replace an awful lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a maximizing effect where 
say, for example, if you're a computer programmer, then you're going to be able to do a lot more. You're going to be able to do 10, 15, 20, even 100 times the amount of coding that you used to do because you've got tools like Copilot, um, uh, GitHub, Copilot X to be able to help you to, to do your coding. Um, and if you're a, a an art generator, for example, if you're someone who creates um, images, you can mm-hmm. do that in Midjourney 5 now. And, and, and there's still work to be done there, but it's just a, a, the ability for for one person to do a lot more work. And if one person can do a lot more work, potentially less people are needed to do that work, right? Yeah. So the, the counter argument to that is potentially that there'll be new jobs that we've um, that we've not um, heard of before. For example, prompt generator. That, uh, uh, prompt that, generator. Um, that comes prompt generator, yeah. I mean, even like chief prompt generator sitting on the board of a company potentially. But, yeah. uh, but you know, there, there, there is especially as things like uh, OpenAI, they moved out of robotics. If they move back into robotics, which I know they've just bought another robotics company again, you know, if you really do start to get this this blending between these incredible mm-hmm. generative AI tools and physical, physically capable robotics and technology, yeah. then you are starting to talk about potential replacements for mm-hmm. an awful lot of human work. You know, um, and then the argument yeah. is is do, do things shift at that point? So how does it, imp- yeah, like um, influence society? What are we going to do? I, I heard one of the videos um, that you referred me to, and they said that you know maybe humanity will just live in like a whole, uh, um, you know, midburn kind of lifestyle where the AI will do the actual work. Um, maybe that's again another utopia, but um, mm. from what you're saying, this could be. Well, some- I- yeah, Sam Altman, who's the uh, CEO yeah. of uh, of OpenAI, was talking to Lex Friedman the other day on his podcast, and and he said something along the lines of one percent human input, ninety nine percent AI input in creation of work. Right. So for, for every one percent of work that you do as a human, you know, it's taking Tim Tim Ferriss's four hour work week and making it a four minute work week. Yeah, you know, exactly. Where, where exactly. a person could potentially do massive things. Yeah. It brings back to what you just said earlier. This this is such a game changer. This is another human revolution. And, you know, we all know from if you guys used, um, again, ChatGPT alone, you see how it changes um, the ability to produce content or get some, you know, another brain to sync together with you. I actually, I have to admit, I used GPT uh, uh, chat to to get some of the questions for this interview and what used to take me a, an hour and a half two hours took me maybe 30 minutes so again it's it's really we already see how it changes the interaction but if i'm trying to ask you again our our, our audience are um, high tech and, and startup uh, founders so how would um the ai change and what, what are the implications of this communication change for startup founders who are shaping the technology of the future today what they need to know to possibly be ahead of the curve in a, a year or two well there's a couple of things that in the short term there is the opportunity i think for being able to dramatically impress your customers mm-hmm. if if you can utilize so you've you've got the new plugins that are coming into open ai now into chat gpt so that's they say the kind yeah. of app store moment for, for open ai so if you can develop a plugin that offers your products like say for example kayaks done for chat gpt then that's going to give you access to a massive new market where in the old days you had to to do the Google AdWords thing, right, and hope that people found you on a website. Yeah. And now the AI is going to be generating recommendations for people to utilize your business with links 
yeah. as a recommendation in a in response to a question that they ask. So there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity to use the APIs of ChatGPT4 to be able to currently to be able to dramatically improve things like customer interactions, especially automated interactions. Yeah. Um, there is, I think, the ability as well. We're starting to get the ability um, to think about this concept of developing an AI personality that represents your brand. Mm-hmm. So this is this is um, quite cu- cutting edge sort of concept, which I've heard a few people talk about, which I really like. But this idea that, like, we will have an AI assistant, an AI dyad, if you will, if you want to be dramatic about it, but a part almost of our personality that is an AI representation in the future. And that's, there's there's a technological breakthrough that's taking place at the moment, which is that the generative AIs are being interlinked with memory. So currently Mm -hmm. the memory is, is just the recollection of the conversation and the inputs of the conversation going into shaping the way that the AI generators respond, the large language models respond. But yeah. once these large language models can start to develop a memory where they, they ongoingly store information and utilize that as more weighted influences in the way that they respond, then you're mm-hmm. starting to get basically the development of a contextualized brand, a contextualized personality to what you're specifically asking the AI to do. And so in that context, then you can start start thinking about developing that personality specifically for your company. So today, for example, you know, you see some companies using, for example, deep fake maybe, or, you know, so like you could see me interviewing you, but it's not actually me. Mm. It's just the representation of me using my voice and my tone and my, you know, way of, you know, doing mm. things. So that could be like an yeah. actual reality soon. On that note, uh, so Spotify yeah. is now bought an AI company. One of the really interesting things they're doing is they're going to mm-hmm. apparently be working with celebrities to be able to get the basically the visualization and the vocalization of celebrities wow. to be rented out to people to be able to be utilized. So a celebrity wanting to do an advert won't mm-hmm. have to be there to do the advert, right? Yeah. And, and and therefore as well, if, if you want to use Samuel wow. L. Jackson in your advert, then you can do this potentially via Spotify, but you're not going to have to pay the rates that you'd have to pay Samuel R. Jackson now because it would be to a certain extent democratized (laughs) through this process of allowing people access. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's amazing and scary at the same time. I mean, obviously there are are two sides for it, Mm. but if we're talking about human and AI relationship, can you just explain when we're talking about communicating with them? Is it through a chat? Is it through Mm. a robot? Is it through like virtual representation? So who am I, Mm. how am I, who am I interacting with when it comes to human AI? Yeah, I mean, initially, currently, I should say the best AIs are, are via chat, via instructions, via prompts. Um, but that's going to change incredibly quick, quickly. The obvious next step is going to be vocal rep- representations. And with the transformers in, in ChatGPT, this is potentially already possible. ChatGPT yeah. also has now just got Im- image capability. So it's got that image recognition capability that's gone into it. So again, once you've got a camera linked to ChatGPT and you've got that vocalization capabilities linked to ChatGPT, yeah, I'm using them as an example. There's obviously many other AI generating tools. They just arguably yeah. are leading the game at the moment. But as soon as you've got that, then you've got the, and you're linking that to really good voice synthesizers, so natural conversation style voice synthesizers. Yeah. Then you've got this really interesting point where you're starting to get the ability to have a conversation. 
Um, and, and I mean a, a visualized conversation where you've got a, a, a an entity, whether it's a, a cartoon or anime-like entity, or even potentially a very real-looking entity that you're having a conversation with. Where where this gets really interesting for me is when augmented reality, you know, and there's rumors that, that Apple might even bring out their augmented reality glasses this year, although it's likely going to be next year. But when augmented reality really comes into play, then you've got the ability to um to have you know almost a schizophrenic fashion have someone there that you can continuously talk to right that you've got a an ai generated yeah. assistant who's there who you can speak to you know i mean otherwise you've got the her you know the movie her the really yeah. great ai yeah. movie you've, really you, good you've you've got that sort of potential where you can have mm-hmm. that conversation with um uh, with her i i think the thing that's actually the the going to be the slowest to arrive Mm-hmm. is really good ro- robotics, robotics with with ai generation uh, i mean it's like just it's so much har- harder to do yeah, exactly it's hard yeah, it, it'll happen at some point yeah, yeah. I, do, yeah. I do think um I, I think i told you about um my my friend shiran melamdomsky somich and she actually um um changed the world with using um deep fake technology and actually um creating this campaign for women uh who unfortunately got murdered by by their uh husband so mm-hmm. she used this technology mm-hmm. of, of ai and deep fake and i guess now the technology is even better to to to, to create a marketing campaign whether it's an impact mm-hmm. related campaign or any other commercial company so what you're saying now if i'm trying to take mm-hmm. all the the um, information that you just shared this could be you know, implemented within companies for um, for marketing and promotion of any you know product or or agenda. Um, but I want to dive mm. a bit deeper into um, the relationship, or even let's talk about um, the types of relationships. So we can have a business relationship with AI. We can have an intimate love relationships with AI. So what type of relationships do we see and expect to see? The uh, the situations where humans have fallen in love with artificial intelligence has been happening since the 70s yeah. so if you go into research labs in in, in uh, universities <laughs> in the 70s that humans it, mm-hmm. there is this idea that we're we're very um uh what's the word we're reticent to do this like we're saying no we're not convinced we're not um uh mm-hmm. fooled the the uncanny valley is not overcome but I think for a lot of people, there's that desire. And, and I would also argue as well that there yeah. is a, a loneliness epidemic, certainly in yeah. many places in the world, where people are, are deeply lonely. They, have, they, they don't have that essential sense of connection in their life. Yeah. And so these AIs have the ability to, to do a real great public service in, in these contexts and provide some really great close companionship. I think yeah. with uh, with people who are in that predicament where they don't have any any connection, people who, for example, they have one or two conversations a week with someone at the uh, the counter of the supermarket, yeah. which is which is disappearing, or someone on the bus, which again, when when uh, yeah. when buses are self driving, then that's going to disappear as well. And so, you know, there there is there is the potential there, and, and people who are doubting this and saying, well, that's not a good thing, I would say. It's not ideal currently. It certainly isn't. It would be better if those people could have human connections. But if they can't, if they they don't have that in their life, then I think it's a great secondary option to have um, something that seems lifelike as an AI. 
um, yeah. to be able to converse with, I think is something that can provide some sense of uh, some sense of companionship. So, so there's that from a business perspective, uh, as mm -hmm. I mentioned, you can have the AI representing the company, representing the company yeah. in discussion with the customers. So if we think about the whole Facebook uh, thing with the idea of personalized marketing, mm -hmm. where Facebook can take adverts and, you know, you've got multiple versions of, of an advert and you can choose certain criteria yeah. and di different people with different criteria get shown different adverts. You know, at the moment, someone might create five or six different adverts based on segmentation. Yeah. Um, but in this context, you can basically, because it's it's that maximizing capability of AI, you can create a segment of one. So you've got each individual having that experience personalized specifically to them. Yeah. So in the communication with the company, you know, if someone wants to have a communication that's funny and lighthearted, that sells the message but does so in a really laid back fashion, then that yeah. communication can take place. If someone wants that really passionate uh, form of communication, if someone wants it to be really factual, yeah. the person's personal needs, exactly what they specifically would want out of this product, as long as that information is available in an ethical fashion to the mm. company, then the company can can utilize that to be able to change the communication on a one-on-one -on -one basis to show that what the company's offering, yeah, is, is going to meet their needs, is going to exceed their needs. Yeah, and I, you also mentioned that some companies even have, or maybe it's one company that has an AI board member. Well, look, I, 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 I mentioned that yeah. from something I heard. I read about so, and that was probably ten years. I read about ten years ago. I read about that of a company in Hong Kong that had an AI board member. But I'll say this: I, I heard a conversation with Bill Gates, and I yeah. think he released this on his newsletter a few days ago, mm -hmm. saying that every board should have an AI on the board now. Yeah. And initially, that AI is just a is just a information provider. So, so the board can always ask the AI from, for information. But the point that he makes, which I think is fascinating, is that the role of that AI should gradually increase. Exactly. Could be initially yeah, something yeah. that can be asked mm -hmm. for, asked for its opinion, and then something that can make recommendations to the board as well. And there'll be a point where that AI is, you know, especially Yo. again if we get to that. <laughs> well, potentially, yeah, potentially. Yeah. I mean, if you're thinking that, I mean, that's once we get to potentially artificial general intelligence so yeah. when we get to agi you know mm -hmm. which kurzweil would still say is 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 2029 yeah. and a lot of experts are kind of agreeing that that's the direction we're heading in and and large language models may take us there which is what mm -hmm. chat gpt is um or, or there might be some additional aspects that are needed to get us to that point but when we get to artificial general intelligence which is where an ai can do everything that a competent human could do yeah especially if the AI can improve AIs, right? then yeah. we can talk about potentially super, super uh, intelligence at that point. But but it, if it can do that, then at that point, there's a strong argument, certainly for it to be a, 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 a valuable member of any board, but even think, potentially to, to lead, lead companies. It brings us back to the most intelligent, you know, creature is in, on the top of the pyramid. I have a board member whom I, who's an AI and who's I trust, <clears throat> and someone is reaching into it or, you know, kind of changing its recommendation. So it's actually going to bring um, new challenges, yet it's going to bring new solutions. And so I think in this regard, it may bring more uh, work and create another avenues for us, again, for products or solutions or, or tech companies because mm -hmm. it will be needed.
Yeah, the war, the war. I mean, you make an excellent point. That war on cyber is always going to be there. I mean, even if we if we get better at this and and things like blockchain, I think are, are things that can be brought in to really help in in the the defense. Although there's been noticeable occasions uh, notable occasions of blockchains getting hacked and and uh, and being rugged. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, there, there is always going to be that consideration. There's always going to be that war. And so, I mean, this is where you're. You're potentially talking about, and this is again something which um, I was listening to to a discussion with Max Tegmark, and and he was saying this, I believe. It, it's it's the if we're going to have something that we have to rely on, mm-hmm. that is AI, then it has to be either able to be locally stored, so that means yeah. it's on our hard drive, and our hard drive is 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 what is, is what they call air gapped which means it's not connected to the internet. It's not accessible. It's not hackable uh, via the internet. Um, yeah. Other potential ways to hack it, but it's not hackable. By, so there's that additional safety. Or we've got really high safety assurances that we mm-hmm. we deeply trust, uh, and it is located somewhere else that is um, is protected. I mean, this is why I think Apple's probably got, even though Apple's been noticeably missing in the last few weeks from the uh, the tsunami of AI news that's been coming out, one of the things that Apple has that, that others don't necessarily have is they have incredible neural engines on their devices. Mm. And so there is the potential for having that concept of localized AI tools, LLMs, large language mm. models, um, on Apple computers, for example, um, where, you know, if I were if I were Tim Cook, I'd probably be having a very strong conversation, a very deep conversation with Sam Altman at this point and trying to form a partnership with uh, with OpenAI. I know I know yeah. Microsoft has as well, but I don't I don't see a reason why they can't also have, you know work with in partnership with them. Yeah. Um and and to get the the very best LLMs into into in, potentially into a localized version within within computers. Uh, and and then I mean Apple does privacy a lot better than a lot of other companies. So if you've got that Apple privacy stamp on it, it's not going to be yeah. perfect, but it's probably going to be a lot better than some others. So that's actually an interesting point because Apple does uh, is well known for its privacy. So he's saying while while once they pursue it um, in like you know in a very um, I would say intensive manner, then possibly the the privacy issue will be uh, good for them as well. Will support them. Um, yeah. Let's talk a bit about uh, emotion and emotional attachment. So. Can AI really understand human emotions and maybe exhibit empathy or compassion? If so, how is it being done? Because, you know, we see, like, it feels fake still when you talk to an AI or when you talk to a figure that's supposed to, you know, talk talk to you and share with, some information with you. So in some at some mm-hmm. point, it may not be as fake, but can how can it ex- show emotion and how could we be able to get to be open for for ai emotional um expression yeah it's it's an interesting i mean uh, our experiences are had by us so it's so it's not whether the ai is displaying emotion i believe i think it's whether we feel that the ai is displaying emotion so it needs Mm. to be able to um it needs to be able to to replicate emotion in a way that's believable to us there, yeah. there are some people who are, who are who are arguing that there is potential consciousness in AI, but most people are not, and mm. I certainly wouldn't make that argument at the moment. I don't think that's the case. I mean, first of all, we don't know what mm. consciousness is. Yeah. Uh, secondly, it, we're probably even when we do, we're probably quite a long way away from that point. But um, but for AI to replicate emotion, mm. one of the really interesting things that I was listening to with um, uh, Ilias Skiba. 
yeah, Ilya Sutskaiva, who's the uh, chief scientist at OpenAI mm-hmm. and, and one of the early developers of large language models. What, um, what he was saying was really interesting is when they first ran these large language models, all they are is predicting tokens, predicting the the likely next steps in things. That's how they work. So here's this information. What's the likely next step? They didn't input any concept of emotions into these things. But one of the first breakthroughs that they really realized they were onto something that was world changing was that the large language models were able to identify emotions in conversations. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things that these 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 things yeah. could do with the early models in in, in AI was that identification of emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, and so then again, once we've got the ability to audio input, yeah, and we've got really good AI models already that can recognize emotions in people's in people's audio um, files mm-hmm. better sometimes than humans can. So you know, yeah. hyping up that. Um, that, that emotional intelligence almost uh, within the robot to really be able to understand emotions. Um, you know, then we've got the uh, the ability for AI really to, to be able to, to have potentially a better understanding of your emotional yeah. state than people around you. You know, and, and and if it can, then then yeah, I I'll just make make one small point which I really like. Sam Altman in mm-hmm. an interview a couple of days ago was saying that that he really hates when ai talks down or condescends to him right this is the, this is the ceo of, of open ai yeah. and i i couldn't agree with him more there but the last thing we want to be is is yeah. infantilized by uh by ai we want to be able to so i i would argue we want to be able to talk to ai like it's a friend initially yeah. like it's an employee then like it's an employee that we're friendly with right yeah. and then it will be like having a conversation with a with a with a personal assistant who we've known for years who we really like you know, and and exactly. and so at that point, I think when, yeah, it, and, like, and that's a really big question. Where, yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I was just gonna say that's a really big question. Is is when do the the makers of these these uh, these uh, tools mm-hmm. flip that switch, if you will, where they start to allow it to have those sort of emotional conversations? I, I know with the New York Times article, we saw really scary examples of that, but that was allowing people access to a much more unfettered version of it, yeah. um, where you've got the AI declaring love for the person. But that's mm-hmm. not a it's not an intent. It's just a prediction tool of what what the yeah. AI thinks is the correct answer, you know. And that's 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 um, kind of where we are now. But yeah, yeah to, be, to answer your question in short, we're very easily fooled by these sort of things. Yeah, and you know, when you just talked, then I, I just thought about Alexa and how eventually it was, we, we got used to talking to devices like Alexa. So in the same way, we'll get used possibly to to get, you know, feel comfortable or even open up to to such a, a intelligence. Um, and also, I also saw yeah. a, an interview with Sam Altman that... Um, and what he says was interesting um, that actually you can you can prompt it to understand what, for example, what racism is, just like you said about different emotions. And then um, it could be trained to speak to you, to be politically correct and not to speak to you with racism. And of course, it probably work on, on the darker sides of it. So if, if we would and will prompt it in, in the right manners, then it could actually support humanity, support, as you said, people who suffer from loneliness or relationship at work i mean i i, I see a broad uh, way mm. of using it to really enhance 
um, relationships in the sense that will support productivity and customer um, and, and, you know, so on. Um, let's talk about um, selling our souls, you know, when it comes to Facebook, for example, everybody, you know, the privacy issues, this, uh, this was talked about a lot, how we, we, we just shared all our information. We sold our soul for free for Mr. Zuckerberg to take it away and use it. So are we, we're probably going to get addicted to it because it's such a game changer. So how are we going to balance, uh, privacy concern with the benefits of personalized AI? Yeah, it's a it's a, a incredibly important question because if you think about the data that I, that uh, Facebook was collecting, especially initially, yeah. it was very simple data, primarily things like what posts you had liked, what posts you had disliked, <laughs> you know, what yeah. you had visited, how how long, yeah, and your image and things like that. So, mm -hmm. so on very basic data, Facebook was able to build very complex profiles of of, of individuals. Then you had the ability in Facebook to like or love or cry or care about things. And suddenly yeah. Facebook's getting this much richer data flow through to it to really give it a better understanding. But if you think about the data that you're putting into these devices, especially if you're asking intimate questions, then mm -hmm. there is going to be major privacy concerns. Yeah. You know, there was a there was one of the the first sort of and this interestingly went very much under the radar, but there was a situation the other day where um, they had to close OpenAI down, the chat GPT down for a few hours mm. because it was showing people other people's questions <laughs> and responses. Okay. So it was showing the chat history from other from other people who had been using the system. Yeah. So they had to close that down and and, and start it again. And, and yeah, they're very open about the fact that they're they're in this development stage at the moment uh, and that it's going to get better, but it's it's not there yet. Um, but um, th there is, I mean, they're saying there's a very strong commitment to privacy. Um, it, it, yeah, it's it's still testing time, I think, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it is a it is a scary yeah. it, because the so the issue with Facebook and their collection of data, yeah, well, it was used to manipulate. I mean, it was it was used as you know the Cambridge Analytica scandal showed. Yeah. it was used to sell um, access to people who wanted to manipulate the perspectives of people based on what outraged them right so yeah. outrage is obviously that thing that connects that connects you know that's most sticky and that's 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 uh, the the thing that keeps people on the internet it's a thing that um, that gets them to take action so yeah. that idea of understanding a person so you can you can turn on that outrage gauge or the cuteness gauge which is the other one that keeps people online um to be able to do that um you know with that data, Facebook is very good at that. But if you think about how much better these devices are going to be at doing that with so much richer information on us, if given the opportunity, mm -hmm. one of my biggest concerns is the election aspect of it. Mm -hmm. We're talking about um, yeah. utilizing this to pervert elections around the world. Then that starts to get in the way of democracy and free and fair election. Exactly. That was the issue with Facebook. I believe that is the potential issue with this. Um, you know, even people like Elon Musk are coming out now and saying we need to go slow on this yeah. because it has the potential to be incredibly dangerous. Um, and Sam, Sam Altman, to his credit, has said that, look, if we need to slow things down, we're going to slow them down. Mm. The problem there, though, is with Stanford's Can release uh, of a paper the other day on, on, on Llama, what they were talking about, which is Llama, which is taking mm -hmm. the uh, alpaca model that the generative AI model yeah. that, that Facebook created, the alpaca model, mm -hmm. training that alpaca model, um, which was open source, using ChatGPT 4 to train, sorry, ChatGPT 3.5 to train yeah. it, 
it managed to produce a large language model for its own large language model in this paper for six hundred dollars yeah. US. So when you like it's, got it that ability, to, yeah. Well, it, it, then you don't have the control. So if you're using ChatGPT four, then you've got the American government able to exert pressure to control, or the European government, or whoever yeah. able to exert pressure to control um the the generator at that point and to put conditions on it but if you've got people individuals creating their own large, large language models yeah. then they can put whatever controls they want on them and if yeah. they're doing this in an unrestricted fashion and they've got access to the data to put in there then yeah. asking questions like what how would you create a, a virus that would kill 90 percent of humanity yeah, you might answer. well get legitimate answers to those questions, right? And that's, not a, that's, get, a, yeah. that's a very scary thought. You, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, do you think it would or should be censored? And you know, should there be some regulations on either the data that is being inputted in and the, the output and input of data? I think there. I mean, there is starting to be this this expectation now that people are very, especially with, to be honest, the generative AI in the, in, yeah. in the area of imagery. But in the area of especially copyrighted or, or owned imagery, there's mm-hmm. been a real backlash against that. So you're starting to get, you know, uh, entities like um, Shutterstock and um, and the, the new Firefly uh, model out um, are starting to say, look, we're doing this in an ethical way. We're being really controlled on yeah. on who whose image we're using. There's also, I believe, with, with Shutterstock, there's a system where if they use someone's image, they, that person gets a payment. Mm-hmm. So if it's utilized in a generative AI process, then the person gets a micropayment coming through for each time it's used. So, you know, paying the creators. So there's yeah. there's an aspect of that. I mean, again, again, if you listen to the people speaking from OpenAI and from Microsoft as well, mm-hmm. what they're saying is there needs to be responsible regulation. Yeah. So then there's this weird thing, um, I would argue at, at the moment, where the US government seems to be almost anti-technology. Yeah. There's a real... Um, uh, feeling it seems in the US government not to be too critical but it just it's, it seems a bit illogical because the US is meant to be this place that as its point of difference is a place that welcomes entrepreneurs yeah. and uh, and embraces people the, the American dream and and, and so yeah. because of what happened with social media um, and them feeling that mm-hmm. they gave them free reign and it went it was really negative and, and it, it got out of control it yeah. seems like the American government is now looking to really strictly, some would say, over-regulate aspects yeah. of technology. We've seen this very very strongly in the blockchain space at the moment, where the American government seems to be at war with cryptocurrency and blockchain, illogically. Um, you know, they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. As the saying goes, you know, yeah. you had FTX and you had... Um, you know, Daquan and so forth. And, and you had some legitimate issues, but but that's that's the, the fault of those people, not the technology. Exactly. Uh, there is the worry that they might do the same thing with, with generative AI, that they are um that yep. they are overly strict in their regulation, and that could be bad, or it could push that that generation into other places. Europe's been doing, I think, very well on the technology leg- legislative mm. front, finding quite a good balance between privacy and embracing technology. Yeah, they're trying to. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting because um, on the one hand, like if you're going to ban it, then you know other people will will create more of it. And since we know, and Elon Musk uh, talks a lot about the danger in AI and you know how we need to be cautious when and, and responsible, yeah. then it's going to be very interesting because of course there will be some evil force along with good forces, and um, it's not going to be boring. Um, but if I'm going to go back to um, startup companies and how can they use AI to innovate, build a brand, relationship with the audience and stay ahead of the competitors, we did talk about it earlier. But if maybe if you have another like practical tips on what can different startups that, again, serve customers and build themselves, what should they either look or do um, to start you know, getting towards using AI in, in the best way for them? The, the first thing I'd mention, as I mentioned in, in my responses to your, your questions earlier, the first thing I'd say is really start to learn how to prompt. The skill of prompting, I mean, there's a, this really interesting thing now where prompting is going to become one of the most important business activities. If you're working with these generative AIs that are more capable at most things that a business does than humans are, then the skill is eliciting the best information from those generative AIs. And how you do that is through prompting. And prompting is, is more than just asking a question. It's having a conversation and providing the necessary information to the generative AIs to be able to produce the very best responses. But for example, if a startup has a really great business idea, you could prompt the, um, the generative AI to say, uh, consider this business idea in the context of this market and critique it as if you were Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos considering this idea and find the flaws that you would find in this idea, for yeah. example. So you can get that generative AI to be your worst critic in that circumstance, yeah. right? Um, you you can get the generative AI to do incredible marketing campaigns. We're already starting to see uh, examples of this. You can get generative AI to do... I mean, th this is the really interesting thing is that people are talking about itself? moving from. Sorry. So you can just ask it. to. You can ask it to critique itself. That's what you mean? Just to make sure it was clear. You you can ask it to critique itself or you can ask it to critique your idea. So if you've got a business idea, mm -hmm. you can ask the generative AI to critique your business idea as yeah. if it were Elon Musk. And mm -hmm. then to take that idea and improve it as if it were Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or, or, or um Wow. Zuckerberg or whoever you, you want to, you know, um, Jack Maher or whoever you want to yeah. you want to put in there as, as as the person who you think is really competent. You yeah. can it has that information in the system to be able to act as those people. Not exactly, of course, but to certainly get a flavor of that person as it interacts with you. You wow. can ask it to be super critical. You can ask it to identify weaknesses in the strategy. You can ask it to better strategies, right? Um, you can ask it to, you know, if, if, say, for example, you haven't gone and studied an MBA and you want to have access to that information that you would have gained potentially by doing an MBA at an Ivy League university, you can ask it to act as a Stanford uh, business professor and make recommendations for how you might approach a certain aspect of your business or what you need to know or how to build a, a responsible business plan. Or, you know, now, especially with the co-pilot capabilities, the Microsoft's build, building into their office suite of uh, products as well, that's utilizing as an aspect, that's utilizing ChatGPT for there. So you can ask it, for example, to analyze your accounts, you know, when you're going into Excel. And to, to uh, this is really interesting as well, to be able to identify weaknesses in sales. 
and identify strategies that can improve in those specific areas where you might not necessarily see them in the numbers. You might need a really capable accountant to be able to find those things. And that capable accountant is not necessarily going to be able to understand what business strategy works best in that circumstance, but this tool is going to be able to do that. You know, and and then again, from a marketing perspective, you know, we're definitely seeing that. But what I what I was uh, going to mention earlier, which I think is really fascinating, is this idea of moving away from computer programming languages to programming in English, right, or or whichever language you want to speak, because degenerative AI speaks most languages. Um, but being able to program computers, so when you're building things, building programs, building websites, and so forth, you're doing it by having a conversation can you do this can you change that can you build this logo you know especially now chat gpt has image creation in it and then you can have that conversation to change and improve the image yeah then you can create you know whole complex websites um utilizing that utilizing um GitHub Copilot X, which is the really good generative AI that Microsoft owns, utilizes Chat GPT four within the programming area as well. Yeah. You know, and so so it, it's 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 multifaceted, right? It's 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 yeah. across it's across um, across every as- aspect of uh, of your business, basically. Amazing, amazing, and and if I'm actually going to ask it from, um, how can companies create a human AI relationship that benefits? the employees and the organization. I mean, how can they use this to benefit their, you know, relationship between employees or employees and management? Well, um, I mean, I, I think it has the potential. The trust mm-hmm. has to be there, but I think it has the potential to be a, a, almost an intermediary, if you will, mm-hmm. to be able to find that um, that sense of, I mean, ideally what you want is you want to have the, yeah. the collaborative perspective within your company, especially if you've got a startup culture. Startup cultures are uh, fierce. There's, there's uh, you know, intense periods of, of growth. There's intense periods of work and so forth. So you've got to have that, um, that, uh, that collaborative aspect mm-hmm. that needs to be there between the leaders in the company and the staff members. And, and I think the the AI could act as a go-between in that context. Mm-hmm. It can be um, for startup owners who mm-hmm. don't necessarily understand the very best way to manage people, because a lot of startup owners they've not necessarily they've, they've, they're great business uh, uh, strategists, great business uh, yeah. uh, cr- creative minds, but they're not necessarily the best business people. People, people, yeah. sorry, right? So to be able to get the very best out of your people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go to the AI and say, this is the circumstance I face. What would be the best strategy in this context, right? Wow. You know, you can provide opportunities for staff members to be able to input ideas and information into mm-hmm. the AI and for the AI to correlate that and to, to recommend um, a combination yeah. of strategies to to the owner of a business based on the input from the staff members. And the you company can, can have the AI. Them. Yeah, sorry. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you can you can obviously use it as a training tool as well. It's it's one of those things where, um, you know, for, for everything from small kids up to to um, retirees who want to learn new skills, it's it's going to be a conversational learning tool that replicates the very best of education. I'm saying that as an educator, my perspective on education has always been that the best education takes place in conversations. And it, and it's not necessarily only one way either. If, if you've got a, an educator 
with their students, having a great conversation, the educator learns a lot themselves as well. But that conversation um, is enlightening. And, and, and these these tools have the capability of being able to do that. So I love what you said about, again, it could be like a mediator, um, someone you can, something you can consult with. It can adjust itself to the company's needs and strategies, then again, to the company's culture. And as you said, could create some education through, through conversing, which is amazing. Now, since our time is up, I want to ask you very two quick, quick questions. One, because as you mentioned, you're an educator and, and I personally, um, kind of, Again, I, I don't know where how it will impact the education uh, world, the academic world, and that bothers me in the mm. same way that it excites me. So that would be one question. How do you, how would you think it would uh, impact the education system? And another question is if you can say, name one um, book or podcast, one that you're recommending. Uh, just next to this uh, video, I will give you the full list of podcasts and books. But what is your view on education and AI? And one recommendation for a book, please. Yep, I might actually so so I might actually recommend someone different from a uh, yeah from a podcast perspective than I than I gave you before. If that's all right, let me just get to my history here and I'll, and I'll recommend them. Um, I, I find the best place to get the, the best information on this is um, via YouTube. To be completely honest, mm-hmm. um, one of the best one of the best podcasts I'll ask, I'll ask the podcast question on this probably first is Lex Friedman. Uh, the Lex Friedman podcast is is because he has that knowledge in the AI space. When he interviews people in very long form interviews, he does a really great job of of having a, a complex conversation with them. And sometimes it can go a little bit a bit over. I mean, a little bit over over my head, but um, but um, yeah. I mean, the, the, there's always going to be a big chunk of it that you can understand. Um, now the the one which I really do want to recommend is a is a fantastic YouTube channel called AI Explained. So if you go into YouTube and you put in AI Explained, it's yeah. it's it's uh, it's one that it's got about eighty three thousand subscribers. Just so you know, at the moment, um, it's one that I whenever the videos come out, I, they're, they're the ones that I, they pop up and I want to play them straight away mm-hmm. because uh, the guy does such a fantastic job. One of staying on top of the news. And he puts out about a video a day. The video is usually about 10, eight, eight minutes to 10 minutes long, so they're not particularly long. But they're really, really good sources of information on the latest AI that's coming out. So I'd strongly recommend that as a, as a source of information. On to the education question very quickly. The education industry is is going through a process of of um, of denial, <laughs> you know, then, then anger, then grief. <laughs> and then acceptance, oh. and then sort of mo- moving on to this process of 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 under getting excited about it. I think you know the the world's changed. As I say to my students, by the time you graduate, you the, mm-hmm. the people who are going to employ you are going to need you to be really great at using these tools. It's just going to be such an essential part of any work. So it would be silly for us as educators to try and stop you from using these tools. Mm-hmm. If that's going to be such an integral part of of your um, work life when you get into the work environment, however, we still need you to achieve certain learning outcomes yourself mm-hmm. without the help of these these tools. So, we as educators have to find ways to set up learning outcomes for our students mm-hmm. that can be achieved either in combination with them using these tools or on their own, but that sees these tools 
as um, tools, as you know, the same way we would Excel or a, or a calculator. Yeah. These are tools to help people do things. And so when you're doing assessment, mm-hmm. say, for example, we're asking a student to do an assessment, we can say, come up mm-hmm. with a business idea and get use the AI to get Bill Gates to critique this business idea mm-hmm. and then reflect on that criticism and make recommendations for improved strategy based on that criticism. So then we're incorporating the utilization of these tools as so something they never could have had before. And now they've got access to, yeah. to be able to use these tools. I mean, the other thing to be honest is, and this is maybe moving a little bit backwards, but we can we can allow students to use the tools, but they just have to demonstrate an understanding where we're having conversations with them. So if you've got a class where you've got the capability of doing this, you can say, okay, you've said this, let's have a discussion about that and you can tell me what you mean and you can expand on it. So the students are still showing that they've got that understanding and that the tools have helped them to understand it and to propose better ideas, but they they know why they're doing that. And then they, they're, they're getting what they need, which is these capabilities when they go into the business environment. I love it because I think one of the most important things that I've learned at university is really how to critic ideas, really like how to be more critical and look at things in in an investigative way. And we don't want to lose it as as a human race. As you said earlier, eventually it's uh, um, the higher intelligence is in the higher, it's in the top of the pyramid. And we need to make sure that this is, this one doesn't, you know, um, goes, uh, you know, crazy. Um, And one, just, just, just on that yeah. So just on that note very quickly, one of the things we have to know is that this this these tools, especially ChatGPT, get mm-hmm. stuff wrong all the time. So True. so whatever you're doing with it, if you just accept its answer, there's a good percentage of what you're accepting that's going to be wrong. Yeah. You know, and so and so therefore you have to go through it, you have to check, you have to modify the information yeah. that you're getting out of it, whether you're a student, a business, you know, owner or a, or an employee. Um, yeah. or academic for that for that matter as well you've still got to got to check you've got to put your slant your personality mm-hmm. your intellect to work on this uh, on the content that comes out of it to to make sure that it's correct so the good news is that we still have to use our brains guys you so make sure you still you're still doing it but one of the main things i'm going to take mm-hmm. out of of our conversation of along with many other tools, is that uh, I, I'm going to ask for GPT chat to critic some ideas being uh, fr- from an Elon Musk perspective. I love this. And I think this is such a great tool for growth, uh, for, again, business and personal. Um, so I'm going to do it right after this conversation. Steve, I could have talked to you like for, for hours, but again, we have some uh, obvious time limitation. But first of all, I want to thank you for making the time, for sharing all your great smarts and experience and and more so for educating the next generation and and um yeah i really hope to be able to to have you here once again uh, soon and and learn about the latest and greatest in this field um absolutely yeah. <laughs> it's been a joy thank you so much so dr stephen rodwell the dean of higher education institute in sydney australia uh, and a researcher in human AI relationships. Um, if you want to contact uh, Steve, just look him up on LinkedIn. It's Stephen Rodwell, a PhD, MBA. Also, I'll also have uh, the link just next to this video. And thank you uh, for watching the Leroy Lickman Show, the show that explores the human component around business, marketing, and communication in a hybrid world. Subscribe to the channel and leave your comment next to this video. And I'll see you on our next episode. Thank you. Thank you.